Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is brought to you by Drobo. Use TWIP as the coupon code and get $50 off your new Drobo at drobostore.com. This week on the show, will you work for peanuts? Can brick-and-mortar photo stores survive? And can Annie Leibovitz keep her photos? Right here on This Week in Photography, number 101. Welcome back to This Week in Photography. Uh, I'm Alex Lindsay taking, uh, taking a weekend for Fred. Fred is uh, off this week, and uh, I am back uh, into my, uh, into my, nor- my, my previous seat, uh, which I haven't uh, gotten to sit in for quite some time. This one's a bouncy seat, so I got the little, if, if you're watching uh, online. And uh, we, have, we um, have a great cast today. We have Scott Bourne returning. So Scott and I are taking over the airwaves once again. Hey, Scott. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Missed you. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's great to uh, have you back on the show. And also, um, to, to even us out a little bit, uh, we've got uh, Nicole Young. Hey, hey, Nicole. Hi, how you doing? And, good to be back. Uh, it's good to have you back. So um, we're going to go ahead and jump right into uh, the news. And um, what we have here is the, um, first of all, the, this is, I, I'm really curious to see what Scott has to say about this. So uh, the first news is a uh, photographer is thrilled to get peanuts uh, from time. So the backstory here is that uh, um, Robert Lamb uh, was very excited that, uh, that he actually uh, had one of his photos used uh, in Time Magazine. And the, the hubbub that, that uh, aroused, uh, came up after this was that, uh, of course, Time bought it from iStock Photo for about $30 instead of the normal thousands that they would normally pay for that type of photo. So, Scott, what's your take on this? <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Uh, this is a perfect example of why I no longer worry about being involved in the stock business because, you know, I, I, I know that Nicole does well with iStock and there are a lot of people that enjoy iStock, but it has essentially destroyed the traditional stock business. And this is just a, this is the quintessential thing. The amateur gets, you know, a few shekels for a job that a pro was using that job to feed his family. This has gone on for a long time in photography. It, it, long before there was eye stock, it's happened in every aspect of the business. Wedding photographers, uh, you know, being undercut by newbies who just got out of school and offering to do $500 weddings in a market that was getting 5000 And the, the problem is, of course, is it brings the, the, the market down to the point where nobody can make a living. And the guys who are getting 30 bucks don't care because they got re- other jobs, you know. So it, it's it's. I, I wish there were a way that iStock could allow people to, you know, maybe there is, to opt in or out of a particular job because this particular photographer, you know, he's happy about being screwed is what really boils down to. He got 30 bucks. He should have got two or $3,000, which is the minimum, I think, that time pays for a cover. And, and you know, I, I wouldn't be happy about losing $2,000 in return for 30 but hey, maybe he's got lower standards than me. <laughs> well, now, one thing before we jump to Nicole, because I'm, I'm very curious what uh, Nicole has uh, to say about this as well, is I do have to say that this conversation sounds an awful lot like what I used to hear when I was starting in uh, print design in the early 90s. So uh, in 1992, I learned how to use this crazy program called Photoshop. And as, right. a, as an intern, I uh, was getting paid about 355 I'm sorry, no, no, I, I, four, four, 
25 an hour to um to do to to basically serve coffee but as i learned how to use photoshop um the, they eventually decided to fire their ad agency and they gave me a raise to seven dollars an hour and um and bought me a computer and i worked really really hard now of course there was a lot of talk at that time where these little whippersnappers like me uh were taking the position of all of these high-end guys that were working at service bureaus and at ad agencies and so on and so forth. And we were. Uh, the The thing that uh, I'll say about that, though, when I, when I see this conversation is that it looks exactly the same <laughs> with people who are on the inside, you know, who, who have done really well, uh, it is that they have... Uh, that they are complaining, of course, because the market is changing dramatically and all these new whippersnappers are coming in and kind of taking over that market. Now, it, I didn't, I was being, you know, I guess people would say that I, would be, I was being taken advantage of that time. Um, but the only thing I'd have to say is that, you know, over three years, I went from, you know, getting paid seven bucks an hour to working on Star Wars. Uh, and a lot of it was fueled by me having that, that ongoing work. And if that's being taken advantage of, my uh, response was beat me, beat me, but tie me up first. So uh, um, I understand your point, Alex, and all I want to know is when you're 55 years old and you cannot get a job because somebody has disintermediated you, disintermediated you using similar techniques, will you be as joyful? Um, that's why we train people to do this stuff, and I'm not trying to compete with them. I'm trying to. I, I understand, them. and that's why. And, and <laughs> I, you know, and but, I, but that's but I, that was a very very careful uh, calculated move on my part was that I'd sure. rather be be uh, training the people who want to come in next than competing with them because I didn't and, think and that you'll there was note a market. And you'll note I started the conversation by saying I'm out of the stock business because of stuff like right. this as well. I'm right. I'm not trying to compete for this this kind of work. Right. All I'm saying is. I want to make sure that people do these things being fo form, you know, fully informed right. as to what what they're missing out on and what they're causing in the way of market rifts. Right. And if they're cool with that, then hey, more power to them and you're right. The the markets have to adapt and change, but uh, you know, I do believe that eventually, you know, the, the markets always have to shift, but there, yeah. there often is a quality difference. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that over the years in many things that used to be made right. better than they are today because now they're made cheaper. Now, Nicole, uh, the question for you is, uh, is this just an evolution? Is this just a, you know, Darwinism uh, in play uh, within our market? Well, you know, the iStock, the microstock model is kind of versus the traditional stocks. It almost seems like it's an old argument, but... It obviously is being brought up again. Um, I know that there's some really hateful things said against this person. Um, not, I'm not talking about you, Scott. I'm talking about some people I saw online actually calling this person names uh, for accept, you know, for making thirty dollars on an image. Um, well, those of us who do iStock as full time, we know what we're getting into. You know, we know that uh, we have to sell a, a high quantity of images to actually make some money, and some of us actually do a really good job with it. Um, and also, in response to one of the things you said, Scott, people can opt out of some of those okay, pricing good. models. So that that was purchased based on the amount of money that the photographer made. ISAC probably got about $150 for it, um, and it's called an extended license, just probably based on the amount of prints or whatever. I'm not exactly sure what it was for, but... Um, yeah, so the, that's that's one question I had for you, Nicole, because I, I know that there is an extended license. I run into it a lot. I have to say that I am a... Um, a uh, a prolific user of iStock Photo. We probably, we're actually looking at doing a subscription at this point because I think that um, we probably download uh, five to 10 photos a day uh, from, from iStock, not put them, 
posting them, but actually using them. Because within the corporate communication stuff that a lot of our stuff requires, it just doesn't make sense to do anything else. I mean, the the, the images are plenty for what for what we need. But yeah, so absolutely. there is a way to, to get out of that and go, go to what's called an extended license. Yes. And one of the things about this uh, particular thing is if somebody approached me and said, I want to pay you $30 to shoot a Time magazine cover, I'm not going to say, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> you know, and the yay, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the stuff that we sell is marketed towards smaller companies like, you know, churches or small businesses who can't afford to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a stock image and seeing things in really big, you know, like, uh, like Walmart or billboards or time. That's very few and far between. Most of the stuff we see is on websites or really small things that people aren't just, you know, they can't afford the money to buy a really expensive stock photo. So they're going to go to iStock photo or other micro stock agencies. Yeah. I mean the, the, for us, I know that what, what we're, we're competing with is it wouldn't, we wouldn't buy a stock photo if iStock photo mm-hmm. didn't exist. We would be, uh, shooting it ourselves. You know, we, we, you know, it, what the, the cost analysis just doesn't make sense for us to, um, to shoot it ourselves when I can go up and get something that is 95% of what I needed uh, and oftentimes 110% of what I needed uh, for for $12. For the web, I think iStock makes a a great deal of sense for people. And and whether we like it or not, these kind of changes happen and there'll be changes that disintermediate iStock too. Believe me, it'll happen. Um, It's just natural. The the problem comes, like I say, when, when when you accept a radically smaller amount of money than you would typically be due, that does create consequences later on down the road for you and for everybody else that wants to engage in that space. And that's something that I'm not sure what the answer is. I can say that that part of the answer is for, for people like me who are still trying to make a living selling pictures is this is why branding is so important. And this is why, for the most part, uh, you know, I, I don't mess with stock because I have to sell something that you can't buy at iStock, which is the Scott Bourne brand. And to that end, I'd recommend Dane Sanders' book, Fast Track Photographer, to everybody, even though it says it's about wedding photography. The stuff he talks about in branding there would help you overcome these sorts of issues to a degree. Well, yeah, and, I, think and, it's, I think it's an interesting discussion, and yeah. I don't have any answers. Well, one, one question I have for Nicole is do a lot of people – do you find that a lot of people uh, – are uh, buy photos from you or start to not just search for general photos, but search for photos that are shot uh, by yourself? I hope so. <laughs> I, I really don't know the answer to that. I see, I see some photos being sold, you know, like somebody might find one photo of a particular model and then go in and buy three or four more photos of the same model or the same series. Um, I know I have had some communication with some customers who'd said that they know a particular model. Can you have her photo be photographed with this particular item or whatever. And I've actually done that for, uh, you know, customers on ISOC that communicated that to me, but I, I don't know. <laughs> That's yeah. a good question. Well, I know, I know that photos. when it comes to illustration, uh, one of the things, uh, uh, when it comes to illustration is I know that I find when we're downloading illustrator files, you know, EPSs or AI files from, uh, iStock photo is that I, uh, once I find someone that I like the look of what they've been creating, I, I often will search, let me show me everything else they're doing because I find that um, you know I, I'm in I'm now in an area that uh, or someone who has the look of the, of what I need for the project. Yeah, I know one thing I have seen is I've you know I've recently moved to Utah and I know a lot of other iStock photographers who live here, and I know that some people do follow them or purchase their photos because they're in the area because they're looking for you know 
the particular locale or a specific type of person or whatever. So, right. That's yeah. So moving on, uh, we've got the uh, the news here. Uh, Ritz regroups with a wide angle approach. Uh, last week, David Ritz, chief executive of Ritz Camera for nearly 30 years, and a team of investors bought the company's assets and formed a new entity uh, intent on figuring out how uh, a phot- photography retailer can make money in the digital age. Um, they're planning uh, to sell convenience. Now, uh, the rich Ritz camera and image will reinvent itself with a new ad campaign a- aimed at drawing a hipper crowd to its stores, uh, which now number around um, 375. Scott, do you think this is actually going to work? Well, this has just got me giggling. They did such a good job the first time. Um, and my, my first thought is, th- so you read the press release. What are they talking about? They're talking about an ad campaign as opposed to actually doing something that would matter. You know, it's like they, they failed because they think everything is a slogan. It's not. You've got to actually figure out some sort of business model where you can address problems for the photographer. I, I'd be shocked if this works, but hey, more power to them. Yeah, so, so the thing that one of the things that I notice is that I have been – uh, dealing with this issue of um, uh, when I go into a store, the, the primary reason I go into the store is because I need to have something right now. If I need it tomorrow, I'm going to order it online. I mean, I think that's the that is the challenge that these stores have is that um, I don't want to uh, I don't want to come in uh, to buy something that I can buy on Amazon or B and H Photo uh, when I can just uh, or or whoever else I'm going to order from. Uh, and so that's the, I think that's the real challenge that they have up against. I think the, the, the model to really look at is Apple. You know, when you look at the Exactly. Certain- you you got to have an experience. Right. I mean, the, the bottom line is simple. There's only two ways to make a retail photography store work. The first way is extraordinarily expensive, and I don't believe Ritz has got the money to do it, which is to do what B&H does, which is to stock everything. And given the high flooring costs and the low profit margins, that's a very risky business to get into. So the second way is to create an experience for people, build real community as opposed to saying those words because you heard them on a marketing website. And that involves making your store the focal point of your community for anything and everything photography. We're talking about organizing meetups, photo walks, classes, galleries, displays, how-to sessions, plus plenty of gear that you can buy, actually take home with you, and you have to do it at prices that are at least in the neighborhood of retail. Many of the the, the photo stores that have failed, Alex, failed because they're selling stuff for above retail. They have to to make their margins work. <laughs> I have to say that I, I, there's a store that's near, near our office, and I literally have to go in armed for bear. Telling yeah. them, you know, this is the B and H price. I'll give you B and H plus ten percent because that's, yeah. you know, otherwise they'll charge. Sometimes they'll try to charge me thirty percent over the MSRP, you know, and that's the thing that's insane. Now they have everything. They're the only city. They're the only store in San Francisco that does. But um, but the reason they have everything is I don't know who's buying buying there. Nicole, what would get you to come into a into a camera store? Well, you know. Uh here in Utah, there's a really great camera store called Picture Line, and they have really awesome service. And I usually just buy my stuff from B&H Photo, but I can actually see myself purchasing a lot more stuff from the local, you know, Picture Line camera store because you walk in there, they know who you are, they uh, they order you what you need. Um, yeah, it's a customer service, really. And that's the thing is if if I walk into a store and I find that uh, and, and they're answering all the questions that I have and I'm having long conversations, I have to admit I feel I feel. Uh, like at least whatever I'm talking to them about, I feel like I'm going to buy at that store. You know, if I they have it the, there. I call that the bathroom rule, Alex. 
if I'm traveling and I stop and use the bathroom at a convenience store, I'll at least buy a Diet Pepsi. Right, right, exactly. So <laughs> it's, if, it's only fair. If I come in and ask a whole bunch of questions about a lens, you know, if they have it in stock, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm obligated to to buy the lens there, and uh, uh, and and I, and I do. I mean, there's a lot of times when we need to have something, or I want to touch it, or or you know, pick it up and make sure that it's going to work, or or you know, see all those pieces. And uh, we buy a lot of tripods that way. I think that's usually the number one thing that we buy at, at a camera store. Um, camera bags or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, if, yeah. if you really think about it, the number one impediment to buying online used to be that you wanted to try the camera or the lens first. But with all these lens renting and camera body renting places popping up online, that's no longer a problem. You can rent it online, try it, see if you like it, and then go buy one. I mean, it, it is getting tougher and tougher to make a retail anything work, little I mean, look at Virgin Records; they're gone. Um, you know, retail is tough. Period. Well, and when uh, you look at when you one of the things if you if you look at the now these Snap Scans and Amazon Store stuff iPhone apps, uh, now you can be sitting in the store um, <laughs> looking at the object and ordering it on Amazon while you're still there, and that's the thing that is. Uh, you know, I think is is really disruptive, and I think that overall, there, there's a chance that down the road we all pay something for that because, um, you know, we don't have any stores that we can buy anything at. You know, I think that's the that's exactly, the issue. and th- that actually gets back to our earlier point, Alex. Yeah. There's always some sort of cost for a lower price, right? So, uh, <laughs> moving on, uh, Homeland Security uh, oh, asks God. people to report suspicious. Photographers. So uh, it says one of the things that we ask people to do uh, when they see something unusual is if they see, for example, someone uh, continually taking photos of a piece of critical infrastructure that doesn't seem to make any sense or a package left unattended on a bus platform to report uh, that to the local law enforcement so that it can be followed up on. Scott. I think Janet Napolitano got up that day and took a stupid pill. <laughs> and and the, and the question I want to ask right after that was, did her parents have any children that lived? Come on. Uh, I mean, you know, you see these people taking pictures of the White House. I actually heard a story about someone taking a picture of the White House getting questioned by police. Now, keep in mind that there is a 3D, I mean 3D fully rendered version of the White House available at MSNBC.com's political site. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, covering every square inch. So you could actually just take screen captures of that. You know, just move around. Why take a photo at all? Why in the world would a terrorist need to take a photograph of it? We have a bridge here between between Tacoma and Gig Harbor, the Narrows Bridge. Every square inch of it is available online in the form of the plans that were made public during the the comment period. Why would you need to take a picture of it if you wanted to do something to it? You can go online and get better renderings and drawings and information. This stuff where you want to target a photographer is frankly just designed to make people feel better, just like the stupid stuff they make us do at the airport. I mean, all the tests show that if, if when, when the police take a bomb through the airport, there's no problem getting it on the plane. So we know that everything they're doing is just, you know, feel good stuff. And all this is going to do is give all those people that hate photographers another excuse to call the cops and say, here comes another terrorist. And I think that there's a great idea I had to to fight this. We need to organize a day where every serious photographer goes out and points his camera at a bridge or a building or a monument. So that an S- it could just be, we could do an SFO uh, photo walk. Yeah. It's like arrest <laughs> 300,000 people at once. Right. Go ahead. Nicole, Nicole, you know? have you ever been uh, uh, talked to about what you're taking pictures of? No, I, 
I think just the kind of photography I do, I've never really been in that situation, you know, where I was trying to take a picture of any kind of government building. But honestly, I don't think a terrorist is going to walk around with a 5D Mark II or a D700 <laughs> and a huge wide-angle lens or whatever. You know, I'm, they're going to use their iPhone. They're going to use a really small point-and-shoot. You can pretty much get the same quality. <laughs> so right. they're targeting the wrong people, if, obviously, if you ask me. They, they really should be – if they really want to target photographers, they need to look at the people who are trying to be discreet and not bringing yeah. a tripod out with a really huge camera rig. Right. Well, this, I, rem- this reminds me of something that happened to me in boot camp, Alex. i got to tell this story. Uh-huh. We used to go to the dining hall, and what you ate in, in boot camp was very controlled because, you know, they're trying to get us all in shape. Right. You know, basic training is what it was called where I went. And, and uh, you know, they had like every parcel of food we had was controlled. So there was a couple of guys that got a little burrito business on the side and they would they worked in the in the mess hall and they would make a burrito and sneak it back to the barracks and sell them for a, a pack of cigarettes. Right. So it became our drill instructor's number one job to figure out who was doing this. It was sort of like, you know, the cane mutiny kind of thing. You know, where's my strawberries? So it became terribly easy to figure out how to beat these guys because right. what would happen is I would walk out. I was one of the biggest guys in basic and I would walk out the door and look like I was chewing something or pretend like I was hiding something and the DI would rush up on me and then the two guys that were actually making the burritos would walk out right behind me completely unmolested. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I've had only one instance where I was taking pictures of textures and I found this really great brass texture that I was taking lots of photos of and uh, I didn't really pay much attention to what I was actually shooting. It turned out to be the safety deposit box, uh, safety deposit like after hours uh, in Boston at some bank, and um, <laughs> and evidently they they thought that that was a you know the security came out and asked me for my uh, for my memory card. Well, they asked me oh. for my film, and I said I'm standing <laughs> I'm standing on the sidewalk. I'm not going to give you my film. And he said, Well, well you're going to have to get, hand it to me. I said, You should go ask your supervisor uh, whether you can actually take the film from me. And he went in to ask the supervisor, and I left. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and I mean, he's probably watching, going, "Oh, the guy!" So, um, so <laughs> that was uh, that was me. So, anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, so, we'll see how that how that goes. Last uh, news for today is uh, this is this is a big one too. I mean, I think from a photographer's point of view, um, Annie Leibovitz, Leibovitz, uh, is she has a uh, lawsuit uh, against from ca- the Art Capital Group, which lent her twenty four million dollars for her the value of her entire collection. Uh, they are suing, I guess, to get that collection because she's not able to pay it back. Um, it, it just seems like um, it just seems like a horrible story. I mean, I, I can see you know someone got got a little ahead of themselves uh, financially, you know, figured out how to sort it out, and now I mean, it's it, it, you kind of feel like if she can lose her her collection almost anybody can i mean it just seems insane that that she would be you know even fighting uh in this situation uh scott she shouldn't have put it up for collateral yeah i mean she she's obviously living beyond her means and and nobody i don't wish you know those kind of problems on anybody but you know if you make a contract you put your stuff up uh, for collateral and you don't you don't pay well there you go yeah it just seems i don't know nicole do you have any thoughts on this Oh, not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just I, I just think that it's just I, it just seems insane. I, I just yeah. saw this huge, um, you know, display, and it's almost like Michael Jackson buying the Beatles songs. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, well, that, when he did it, you know, of course, uh, you know, Paul McCartney, I think, never talked to him again. You know, I, mean, I think that was, um, you know, that was the uh, uh, it was a big it was a big deal. But it, you know, having somebody own your, you know, um, like completely own all the rights to your to your life's work, uh, you know, is just. Um, 
I do want to go on the record as saying that if somebody would like to give me $24 million for the rights to my life work, I would take it. <laughs> I'll second that with mine, too. Right. Yeah, you can, you can have every much. bird photograph I've ever taken or ever will take. Uh, yeah. My I, contact information is available online at scottborn.com. I have like, in fact, four, I'm feeling like 23.5 million would do it today, oh, Alex. A discount. I, I, you know, I, I have, uh, I have, um, yeah, I have 12 or 15,000 photos I'm willing to part with. Uh, not all of them, but, but all the best ones, you know, that I'm, I'm willing to give uh, for $24 million. Ooh. Okay, jumping to our, uh, our photo assignment, um, we have, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a current poll. Uh, we have how many lenses do you own? This was last week's uh, poll. And um, uh, there is the one through four, 60%, uh, one through four, uh, five through eight. I, I think I fit into the one. Th- uh, no, no, I'm in five through eight. Uh, 32, 32%, nine through 12, 5%. And then there was the um, uh, the Scott amount, which is all, <laughs> all of them. You know, and so, uh, so the more than a dozen, 3% uh, of the folks, I'm sure Scott fit into that little. Line. I'll answer this question the way Phil Graham answered it when he was talking about guns. I'm going to say, I have more lenses than I need, but not as many as I want. <laughs> Nicole, how many, how many lenses do you have? I probably, for lenses I actually own and work on my camera probably five to eight but lenses I actually use probably in the one to four category I have right. you know like the one or two that I use all the time and then the few that are just kind of my extra ones but I have I have more than that I just don't use them that often what do you use the most my 24 to 70 mm-hmm. and my 70 to 200 those are the two main ones that I use you know, and, and are you shooting on a Canon or Nikon Nikon and um and these are the 2.8s the yeah the 24 to 70 is the Nikon 2.8 the 70 to 200 is the Sigma version it's a 2.8 as well right those are great great lenses and so those are the two yeah I um I know for me I'm I'm using primarily I mean I still love my I have a 1.450 that I have on there all the time and then I um you know put uh, you know I have a crazy wide angle lens that I use a lot uh, for work and um, those are the two that I probably live on um, for the most part Scott. Well, my three to eight hundred is my bread and butter lens when I'm doing bird photography. Right. Um, but uh, if you're I walking around, what do you have on? What do you have on? I, I, I've just fallen in love with the Nikkor 105 2.8 VR macro. Wow. It's uh, it's it is an amazing lens. The VR really works. The macro really works. Crazy. 105 millimeters is a great length for both portraits and macro, and can even work pretty well in a landscape situation for instance if you're doing panos it's sharp as can be um i I just i've used that lens a lot lately and find myself going to it more regularly than i i thought i would but uh, my i'm probably down to between five and six regular lenses i use my uh 14 to 24 28 nikon a lot i also have the 24 to 70 28 uh which i i like i like the 16 millimeter a fisheye quite a bit it's a real uh, fisheye it doesn't make one of those little phony circles uh, it's pretty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's I'm pretty not going to put up with those little circles in the middle of the frame. No, and the 200 f2 I have to say is pretty darn sweet. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, um, next week's question is: Do you carry backup memory cards? So that'll be we'll, we'll let you uh, let let us you know go up to uh, to uh, Twip Log and uh, and let us know whether you carry any of these. In fact, my uh, my recommendation for the week will actually relate to that so uh so stay tuned for that and um we will uh uh come back to that uh, it will have uh we'll have our picks for the week here in a second but we're going to go through a couple listener questions first so um our first question comes from uh howard spellman 
and he says, uh, what do you think uh, of a conversion lens, such as a 3.5 Vivitar series uh, one conversion lens for my Panasonic uh, LX3? The big problem is that this is a great camera. Um, the big problem with this great camera is the length of the lens is only 60 millimeters. Um, does the glass on the conversion lens affect the f-stop? Um, I know I know you will lose some clarity, but is it acceptable? This is a great camera for shooting in museums, uh, as the size uh, and the f two are great. Um, I especially like manual focus in that it blows up, um, and that that blows up the uh, center of the pixel set of pixels while focusing. Once the low light shot is taken, um, it's better than the real thing, according according to Howard. Now, so uh, back to this um, these extenders for these little cameras. Uh, do either of you use extenders for your cameras? Do I, what are you using for like a small point and shoot, uh, Nicole? I have a the P fifty one hundred Nikon P fifty one hundred. Nikon, and, and do you use any extenders? No, I've never added anything extra to it other than a flash. For me, a point and shoot is kind of a. Uh, it's the point is that I can put it in my pocket; doesn't have anything extra on it. Mm-hmm. You know that I, that I don't I don't want to put a lot of stuff on it. If I want to put a lot of stuff on it, I use my SLR. Is that, yeah. is, that is that kind of how you approach it? Yeah, that's what I do. I mean, I've I've played around with throwing my um, my my SB eight hundred on top of my tiny little you know my tiny little camera. So I have a flash on top of my camera that's bigger than the actual camera. But that was just for fun. But it's, I do everything just like you do. I, I throw it in my purse so I can just take some snapshots, you know, instead of having to lug my D two hundred around with me. Right now, uh, Scott, do you uh, do you what do you use as your kind of walk around little uh, compact camera? I'm using the LX3, the Panasonic LX3. And are you using any kind of, uh, do you use any extenders or anything else on top of it? No, because, uh, you know, the, it, it degrades the image quality pretty significantly in my experience. Um, and I bought that camera because if I'm going to use a little point and shoot, it's mostly going to be in a situation where I want a wider angle uh, lens. If I need to shoot long, I'm going to grab the three to eight hundred five six and a D three and go to town. Right, and that kind of gets into one other question that we're going to hit here. I think it's related. It says um, this is from Cecilia in Denmark, uh, and it is: Do you consider a person shooting with an SLR camera a better photographer than the person shooting with a compact camera, uh, without seeing any of their um, photos? Is it possible to make impressive work with a compact ca- uh, camera? Um, I've learned, uh, you know, she says she's learned a lot from our podcast. So, um, Nicole, what do you think? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the point and shoot cameras we have now are probably better than a lot of the SLR cameras they had, you know, 20 years ago. Right. And, uh, I've made some really great photos with my point and shoots and nothing that I could really sell on my stock, you know, but well, actually I take that back. I do have a few photos in my portfolio that I've right. taken with a point and shoot, but, um, no, it doesn't make you a better photographer. The photographer, you know, the camera doesn't make the photographer. Uh, it's completely the opposite. And I, it, you always get the, you know, I still get people walking up to me. Oh, you've got a nice camera. <laughs> and I'm like, well, thank you. <laughs> so. Well, and I know, I know that for me, you know, still, I mean, I, I take a lot of photos and I'm, I'm okay at taking photos. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I do, I do well uh, with it and people like, like my photos, but you can tell the difference, even with my with my SLR. My my sister finally got a new digital SLR, but my sister is um, profoundly talented, and uh, and now she's going to be embarrassed because I think she's not listening to the show. <laughs> but uh, you can I can always look at the roll when she picked up my camera because there'll be like all my photos, which are good, and then there's her photos, which are are like uh, time life good, and <laughs> um, and then and then it goes back to mine. And she was able to do that whether she it doesn't matter what camera you handed to her. You know, it really had to do with how she framed it and and the moment she waited to you know hit the button 
Um, and uh, so, Scott, what you, you we we lost you there for a second. Uh, Sorry. Uh, no, no, no problem. Um, can you shoot good photos? Do you think you can shoot good photos with a point and shoot? Uh, it oh, I know you can. I I know for a fact you can. Yeah. I used to do when I taught a little uh, business photography class over at the Extension UW. I used to have a challenge to all the new students because they come into class and the first day was all about what camera should I buy? What lens should I get? And I was like, you guys shouldn't buy any gear at all. And they were, how can I be a professional without gear? And I said, well, I got a better question. How can you be a professional without clients? And, uh, you know, I said, go get a client, then rent the gear you need. And then he said, well, you, it's easy for you to say you got all these nice cameras. I said, tell you what, we're going to do a wedding on Saturday. I'll use my point and shoot. You can use my D3. Let's see how it works. Right. Yeah, and, and, and I, I, I mean, it's the it's it certainly helps to have good tools in certain situations. For instance, when I'm doing bird photography, I can't use a point and shoot because the birds are you know 50 yards away. I need a long lens. But in many situations, I've seen work on compact cameras that is superior to a lot of the stuff that I've done with 35 millimeter cameras. Yeah, no, absolutely. So those are knowing. Oh, your, well, go ahead. It's, it's about knowing your camera too. You know, if, right. if yeah. you hand kind of like what you're saying, Scott, if you hand somebody a D3 who doesn't know what they're doing with it, they're not going to make any good photos. Even if, well, if you're a good photographer, you're probably going to know your gear. You should know your gear. It's your tool. And, you know, you can give somebody, you know, if I give Joe McNally my P5100, I'm guessing he'd probably come up with some pretty good photos. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, absolutely. And and so anyway, that's the answer to that question. Now, the next thing that we have, the final, um, our, our final uh, piece for the show is picks of the week. So, Nicole, we're going to throw you uh, right into the fire. What is your All pick right. for the week? Uh, my pick is the Black Rapid RS4 strap, and uh, I, I've, got, I've had it for about a month, and I absolutely love it. Actually, if you're watching video, you'll see it in a second here. I have it. Oh, it looks nice. It's uh, it just it connects to the base of your camera, so mm. you can you know you hang it, you hang it from your side like a sling, uh-huh. and you can just kind of set it to your side. You can set it to your side and you have your hands free and that's really why I like it instead of having your camera strap over your shoulder and it's swinging back and forth and you know making sure it doesn't fall off. I always ran into that. Now I have the black rapid and it's really great. Um, I was actually just on a, a shoot with a photographer friend of mine, Rich Leg, and I made a video and part of it is him showing how he has this black rapid strap with a custom bracket and a flash rock climbing with this thing on his side and it really kind of shows how much faith we have in it and how good of a piece of equipment it is so wow it's the black rapid rs4 these these picks always get so expensive for me because i see it and i'm like oh and then <laughs> later this afternoon I'll, I'll have one coming tomorrow yeah that's, that's usually <laughs> well how they actually they have an rs5 coming out and i'm not exactly sure what the difference is other than i think it has more uh, compartments you know like you like i have my business cards in the little mm-hmm. zipper pouch that they have but the new one has a little bit more room mm. and so no i'll wait i'll wait then for the for the <laughs> yeah, next one now <laughs> scott scott what is your uh pick for the week my pick is this guy right here. What is that? The color oh, monkey. Oh, yeah, the color monkey. So uh, the reason I like this is because, first of all, it'll work if you have two monitors. A lot of these solutions, including some of the very expensive pro ones that I own, don't work if you have more than one monitor. Well, they'll work. It's just that they'll default to the laptop instead of your external monitor. The second thing I like about it is it will calibrate anything that moves or doesn't move. It'll calibrate, 
you know, one of the problems I have is I do a lot of presentations. I go out with a projector, and this will calibrate the projector because you hear the old adage, boy, it looks better on the, the laptop than it does up there on the projector. You won't hear that anymore if you use this. It also lets you actually, you know, calibrate your monitor to your printer. It'll actually, beyond that, work as a true color spectrum spectrometer i can't say that word it, you can just put it down on a color and it'll measure that color and say oh this is that and um it's how very much versatile. how much is it you know i don't ever buy this stuff alex i don't know what it costs <laughs> you're supposed know, to four know or five, four or five hundred dollars i think <laughs> all right so the, my my pick for the week so that's that, and that's called the color monkey right m-u-n-k-i yeah, right yeah, from X right, and um, I, I, you know, so far I've done minimal tests with it, but so far I really like it, and I'm thinking about. I have the real expensive uh, X right color uh, calibration tool, but I think I'm going to replace it with this one. Yeah, yeah, I I saw this stuff in uh, at MacWorld last year, and I was really impressed, and just didn't get around to getting it. Now, of course, now that we've recommended it, I'll probably get it too because that's what I do. So, um, so anyway, uh, that sounds great. Now, now my. Uh, my pick is something I actually have bought. I bought a lot of them, actually. Um, and this, I know this sounds crazy, but okay, are you, you, you guys are familiar with Pelican cases, right? Absolutely. Uh -huh. Well, Pelican case, it turns out, we, we were renting a RED camera, and uh, you know, with RED cameras, you get the hard drive, but you also get a, um, you oftentimes get a couple compact flashes for tests and, and uh, little one-offs. And it came in a Pelican case. The compact flashcards came in a Pelican case. And so we went out searching for these wondrous little cases and uh, we found out that pelican sure enough makes cases for both sd cards and compact flash cards and so these are watertight hardened uh cases now the it'll hold one of these little pelican cases will fit in your pocket uh, in your back pocket for me and you don't worry about sitting on it because it's hardened uh and um or you know for me i have leo gave me this new jacket so i have this crazy you know all these pockets and so i can fit like two or three of them in there if i need to but each case will hold eight sd cards or four uh, uh compact flash cards and i think i have two of i have two um i'm sorry it doesn't hold yeah it holds four uh and i have uh i have two of the compact flash ones and one of the sd oh, we have actually the company has two of the sd uh holders for all the sd cards we use for the cameras and so um and they're all full and it is amazing to ha you know you're not like looking around for all these individually packed compact flash cards you have one there well what i do is i keep them all um label up when they're empty and then i when i put them back in and they're full i just if i'm if i'm on a shoot i just turn them upside down so i know which ones when i open that i have to digitize and uh it is you know it's 22 bucks you know, you know, twenty five dollars or something like that on Amazon, and that's maybe one of the cheapest picks you've ever recommended. I know I'm very proud of myself. I've stayed below five hundred dollars, and uh, no, but it is. It, it, once we got it, we were just um, we were in love. So uh, so anyway, uh, we we're buying them every time we buy more cards. We assume that we're going to be buying more because you're talking about hundreds. I mean, for a, you know, eight for us, eight. Uh, compact flash card or i'm sorry eight sd cards the one the ones that we get the the uh type three um sand disc uh 16 gig cards uh that's that's an investment of 800 dollars, and so it's it's important for us to and that's on you know on on sale uh and so it's an important investment and so it's worth getting a pelican case uh getting something hardened um that's going to keep those things protected and so anyway 
that is uh, that's my pick for the week, the Pelican case uh, for the SD and compact flashcards. I've been waiting to get back on the show just so I get to recommend that because we've had them for a couple. <laughs> we've, we've had them for we, we got them for this. We had this huge shoot the project. Dreams to which you will go to get to be back on the show. Like, I was, no, we, no, no, I, you know, I was supposed to be on last week, and I don't know. Just so people know, uh, I was I was on the original recording of last week, and the Skype fell apart so badly. Um, this was not here at the Twit Cottage, but uh, in our office, and it wasn't our office. It was just Skype in general. The, the Skype storm, you know, everybody was falling off, every, you know, and we finally gave up. But when we rescheduled it, it was at a time I couldn't make it. So yeah, uh, actually, we're probably going to find that Fred is tied up out back because you wanted to be on the show. I had week. to recommend the Pelican case. Yeah. Fred said there's going to be no Pelican case, and so you know, uh, yeah, was know, it. I, I'm sure he'll I, get I, out of those knots eventually. I'm sorry I couldn't be here for the 100th anniversary show, but I was uh, on on the Columbia River photographing jet boats. Oh, nice, Scott. Where can people find you? Photofocus.com, of course, is, is always a great place. And by the way, check me out on Twitter. Uh, in case you haven't heard, Alex, uh, Friday, I'm giving away a Nikon D5000 to somebody. All you have to basically do is follow me. I'm crazy. Scott a 5000 or a 6000? The, the, the D5000. Wow. Very, with a very lens. Cool. Brand awesome. new in a box. It's sitting over here, and I'm tempted to open it, but I did figure whoever win it wouldn't want me to, to open it. But I'm giving that away on Twitter on Friday. All you have to do is follow me on Scott Bourne. So either Twitter or photofocus.com. Thank you so much for asking. Great. And uh, Nicole, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Nicole Z, N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y. And I also blog on Photofocus with Scott, so that's another good place to find me. Fantastic. And uh, until later, until we, uh, until we return... Put that, take that lens cap off and get out there shooting. <laughs>